Well, good morning. You know, one of my uh, New Year's resolutions is I'm going to try to go to the gym more often. I've been having some success with it, not as much as I'd like. Um, but I've noticed one of the things that when you go to the gym or a fitness center is, is they have all these motivational slogans and posters posted all over the place. Things like, you're doing fine, or just do it, or hang in there. They're trying to encourage you to persevere. But one of the most effective things, I think, are these before and after stories. Uh, there's this place where I go, and, and there's this, these pictures, and they kind of scroll through of, of people before and after pictures. You know, before pictures of when they you know, weren't exercising or eating well, and then the after pictures, and usually it involves dozens of pounds or even hundreds of pounds, and they look healthier and fitter and so on and so forth. And the idea, of course, is, is to encourage you to say, you can do that too. You can be that person. You can see noticeable, drastic change in your life and in your health. Well, today we're kicking off a new sermon series about change and about transformation. And just a little bit of background to this message. Uh, Through the month of January, we looked at the priorities of the church, the four things that we feel are the most important that we are to be about as a church family. And uh, we we defined them thusly. Disciple was to be uh, defined as a life-changing journey in Christ and with other people. In other words, when we come to faith in Christ, our life should, should show it. There should be a noticeable change throughout the course of our life. We also looked at worship, that we are to give a wholehearted response to all that God has done for us in Christ and who he is. We looked at uh, serve. We are compelled by God's love to go into the world in Jesus' name and to meet the needs of those around us. And then last week we looked at the priority of evangelize. In other words, we are to share our faith and to invite other people into a personal and real and saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're certainly committed to all of these four priorities. We, all, we want to see ourselves grow and improve in these areas. But in 2018, as a church staff and church council, we, we want to emphasize the priority of, of discipleship, along with the other three, but we really want to emphasize the idea of, of discipleship, of going deeper in our relationship with Christ, of being changed in a journey with Christ as we do it alongside of our brothers and sisters here at First Covenant Church, to lean into Christ together and to allow him to change our lives and transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ as individuals and as a church family. And the idea is at the end of 2018, hopefully, we can have our own before and after stories. Maybe a story of coming to faith in Christ, or a story of revitalized faith, or a story of, 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 of victory over patterns in our lives, of greater joy or peace or purpose, or so on and so forth. So, what we're doing in our sermon series is looking at stories of change and transformation in the Bible, before and after stories. And we begin with the, the most important before and after story, which is to be the story of, of conversion. The idea that we don't know Christ, we meet Christ, and our life is changed. And of all the, the conversion stories in the scriptures, perhaps the most profound one and dramatic one is this conversion story that was just read from Acts chapter 9, where Saul of Tarsus meets the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Now, a little background about Saul. He was raised as a Jew. He was trained as a rabbi. And he became a very violent persecutor of the Christians in the early church. He hated Christ. He hated his followers so much that he was doing everything he could to eradicate this this new movement, like it was some sort of dangerous virus. He was, in, in a very real sense, a terrorist, who did evil deeds in the name of his faith. And then one day, 
he meets Jesus and his life is permanently and radically changed forever. Now, there are three accounts of Paul's conversion in the New Testament. There's this one in Acts chapter 9, which we just read. There's one in Acts 26 where Paul tells his own story when he's standing in front of a non-believer. He tells his own story of conversion. And then there's also uh, an account of his conversion in Galatians chapter 1 where he, uh, he, he looks back and he, he has perspective and he, he, uh, he explains what happened and the difference it's made in his life. And so we're going to spend some time in Acts 9, but we're also going to look at Galatians 1. So I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, and there will be some verses on the screen as well. Now, um, Paul begins with verse 11, where he says this. Now, the background first is, in Galatia, there's, there's some church division. There are people in the church who are teaching that, that you can be saved if you must do certain things in addition to faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. Paul says, no, that's not right. It's wrong. It's a lie that you're saved by faith in Christ and Christ alone. You don't have to add to it by doing certain other things. And so, so Paul begins by establishing his credibility and he begins with telling his story. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not something that, that any humans made up. I did not receive it from any person, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So Paul says, what I preach and what I teach is not an accumulation of wise philosophies and Jesus' teachings and things from the Scripture and my own experience. No, this is from God and God alone. This is, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is from God and God alone. It's God's idea. And with that established, then Paul goes on to his story. Now, if you've ever gone through an evangelism class or a, a class that tries to teach you how to share your faith, you'll probably, understand, you'll probably recognize it, that there's a kind of a three-point outline that most testimonies are encouraged to use. It's very simple, very easy to remember. There is the first point, your life before you meet Christ. B.C., your life before Christ. Secondly, how you come to meet Christ, how you come to faith in Christ. And then thirdly, your life since coming to Christ. How has Christ changed your life? How's, it, how's he changed your values, your priorities, your actions and attitudes and so on and so forth? And that's precisely the, ad, the outline that Paul uses in Galatians 1. So let's take a look at his testimony, beginning with Paul B.C., Paul before he meets Christ. And he says this about himself. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism and beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul very succinctly tells us that before he came to Christ, he was actively and intensely seeking out Christians and and he was persecuting them. Uh, That he was really making his way up the, climbing his way up the ladder in the Jewish faith. He was well thought of. He was well regarded. Uh, he was uh, an overachiever, I guess. And, and that he um, had, he had this, this zealousness about, about the tradition of his fathers. Now, no doubt Paul would have understood the Christian message. He would have studied it. He would have known what they were teaching and preaching. He would have heard them talk about Jesus and their claim that he was raised from the dead. And yet, he had no desire to follow Christ. He felt no tug in his heart. No remorse of what he was doing. He was very happy 
in his life and what he was doing. Felt no need in his heart. He was kind of like those people. That, remember a number of years ago there was this campaign by uh, Campus Crusade, kind of an evangelistic face-sharing campaign. And the slogan was, I found it. The idea was, I found peace, or I found joy, or I found love, or I found acceptance. I found what I was looking for in Jesus Christ. And there was this pushback in certain circles among those who were rejecting the faith. And they came up with a kind of a, a counter slogan, and it was, I never lost it. In other words, I, I'm happy in my life. I feel no need to... You find I've already to, to put my trust in Christ because I've already have meaning and purpose and joy and, and so on and so forth. And so Paul was kind of like that. He was not interested in becoming a Christian. He wasn't looking for Christ, but Christ was looking for him. Acts 8 verses 1 through 3 tells us about Saul. That was his pre-conversion name. That he went from house to house in a sort of reverse evangelism. He'd knock on the door and ask, are you a Christian? And they say yes, and you drag them out of their house and take them to prison. Acts 9 says he was breathing out threats against the Lord's disciples when he was on his way to Damascus to, to root out the Christians there. In Acts 7, we get a little bit more picture of what his life was like before Christ. He approves of the stoning of Stephen, and when other Christians were put to death, he cast his vote against them. In his mind, the best thing to do to, to defeat Christianity was to kill the believers and to stop them in their tracks. That's Paul, B.C. Not a, not a real pretty picture. Not the kind of guy that you'd expect would have a dramatic conversion experience and be used of God to bring millions of people to faith in Christ. So next, Paul, in verses 15 and 16, he talks about his perspective on, on when he came to faith on what was happening there and why. He says, But God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So focus for a minute on the word but. But God. Paul was a killer. He was a sinner. He tried to destroy the church. But it says, but God. Now, notice the change in subject. When Paul talks about his former life, it's always I, I, I. It's very self-absorbed, self-focused. But when he talks about his conversion, it converts to God. God who does this. God who moves into action. God who's behind. God who calls. God who, who saves. Now, there's another remarkable statement in here as well. Paul says that God called him from his mother's womb. This means that, that God was tracking Paul from the moment he was conceived in his mother. God had his eye on Paul while he was still in the womb, while he was a toddler, while he was a, a rambunctious teenager. God had his eye on, on Saul. Paul didn't know it, didn't feel it, was totally unaware of it. And in fact, he couldn't see it until he, after he came to, to faith in Christ. But he looked back upon his life and he could see God's fingerprints in every part of his life. You know, I, I've often wondered what, what, what he was doing those three days. In Acts 9, it talks about how he was blind. He, he sees Jesus on the road. There's a, blight, a bright light. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And, and he, he, he's blind. He's led into town, and for three days he's blind. He's not eating anything, not drinking anything. For three days. 
it says he was, obviously he's been praying because that's implied in the scripture. But I also think he was probably sitting there thinking back upon his life. Uh, one, repenting, thinking about, okay, all the people I have arranged for their murders, I've persecuted, I've done horrible things, I'm fighting against, I'm fighting against God's son here. And I also think he was looking back and saying, seeing that God was at work in every area of his life, drawing him to this point, drawing him to a place where he actually met the Lord and, and was saved. And I think he realized that his whole life had been planned by God for that moment. That nothing had happened by accident. That it all was ordained as part of God's plan. That's how God works in our lives. And we're not aware of it. We talk about making a decision for Christ, accepting Christ, believing on Christ, trusting in Christ as our Savior. Sometimes we say, I, I found the Lord. Yes and no. We must remember that if the Lord didn't act first, if the Lord didn't love us first, if the Lord didn't choose us first and find us first, we never would have been found by him. We never, we never would have found him. We never would have been saved. And so in the end... God gets all the glory for our salvation. That's certainly a perspective that Paul had when he looked back upon his life. I didn't do anything, he says, but God in his grace and mercy found me, saved me, and drew me to the place where I was saved. Now let's look at Paul's uh, life after Christ, the last part of his testimony. He says this about himself in verse 16. I did not consult any person, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see... um, those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard this report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God before of me, or because of me. So, so Paul, this man who was a persecutor, who is known as a persecutor, is now known as a man who preaches the gospel, who, who is passionate about Christ, a man whose life was radically and noticeably transformed. Once he hated believers, now he considers them friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. Once he hated the truth, now he lives by the truth. Once he hated the gospel, now he preaches the gospel, the gospel that comes from God and God alone. Once he was a terrorist, but now he's an evangelist for Jesus Christ. Christ made all of the difference, and people gave the glory to God because of him. You know, when, uh, when I was on a mission trip in Ecuador a number of years ago, uh, we met a young man uh, who was one of those people you're attracted to automatically. Just very charismatic, outgoing, full of life, lots of humor, just very quick-witted. He was kind of a Pied Piper. You know, he worked in the area churches and worked with youth and students, and they just, they just, they just flocked to him. And he had great fruit in his ministry. People were coming to faith in Jesus Christ left and right. But then you heard his story, and it was just stunning. Such a contrast, because... Before he came to Christ, when he was a, a teenager in the early 20s, he was a pimp, and he was a drug dealer. And yet God got a hold of his life, Christ got a hold of his life, and he was powerfully and quickly transformed. And, and he grew into that faith, 
And because of his, his commitment to Christ and his conversion, many, many, many men and women children were saved. I guess the question for us when we think about our own walk with Christ is how has Jesus Christ changed our lives? How would people answer the question if they were asked, you know, I know so-and-so is a Christian because I've seen this change. I, I've seen a difference in how they treat people. I've seen a difference in how they use their resources or their time. I've seen a difference in how they, they treat their children, their family, their neighbors. Or I see a difference in how they operate at work. We are, we are to be not only saved, but the journey doesn't stop there. Our journey is to be lifelong, a journey of transformation. Faith is to lead to fruit. Conversion must lead to change. We're called to, to, to walk with Christ in such a way that those around us give the glory to God and see something different about us. Real quickly, I'm going to give you three take-home points. <laughs> and the slides are going to be a little different, so I'll kind of state them differently. The first one is that nobody conjures up the good news of, of the gospel. It comes from God and God alone. That's a very important place to start when we talk about sharing our faith. We live in a pluralistic society that teaches us that all religions are basically the same. They all lead to the same place. All worldviews are relatively, mostly, equally valid. But the gospel, Paul tells us, is the only true good news that comes from God. It's the only way by which we can be saved. It's based on the sober and historical facts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Secondly, no one is saved but through God and God alone. God arranges the circumstances of our lives so that we can know him personally. We rarely see that in advance, but as we look back, we can clearly see how the hand of God was graciously drawing us to himself. Even the ability to believe in Christ is a gift from God. All the glory in our salvation, all the work is done by God. And thirdly, nobody is beyond the reach of the grace of God. You know, I think that's one of the reasons Paul's story shows up three times in the scriptures. If God can save a man like Paul, he can save anybody. And that's what encourages us in a couple of ways. First, if we feel that we're beyond God's reach, if we feel like we've screwed up so many times or we've rejected Christ, we've used his name in vain or whatever it might be, we've persisted against and we've mocked those who believe in him. If God can save a person like Paul, he can save you, he can save me. And secondly, it ought to encourage those of us who are praying for friends and loved ones to come to Christ. You know, sometimes we feel like our prayers bounce off the ceiling, and we pray for months or for years on end with no, no apparent result. But we must remember that we do not see the whole story. No one would have ever predicted Paul's conversion ten minutes before it happened, or five minutes before it happened, or ten seconds before it happened. But the light of God broke through and Christ spoke to Paul and he was saved. And so keep on praying, keep on witnessing, and keep on believing because nobody is beyond the reach of the grace of God. Because God still saves and he still rescues men and women who are far gone in sin. 
There is no case which is too hopeless for the great physician. I mean, the story of Christianity, when you think about it, is a, is a series of before and after stories. Zacchaeus, tax collector, greedy, collaborated with the Roman occupiers, meets Christ, a generous man. His values change. Saul and Paul, obviously. Mary Magdalene, a prostitute, meets Christ, one of the women at the cross when Christ was crucified. When others left, she stayed. Constantine, Augustine, Luther, John Newton, the slave trader, the author of Amazing Grace, C.S. Lewis, Chuck Colson, the list goes on and on. God changed their lives, and he can certainly change ours, and he can change those of the ones we are praying for. Because God is in the business of saving people. That's where his heart is. That's why he sent his son Jesus. He calls us. He saves us. He changes us. He calls us to be his disciples, to join with him in Christ and with others on a journey that leads to change hearts, change minds, and change lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that because of him, we can be saved. We thank you, Lord, that you looked at us and you had a heart for us, and you sent your Son to die for us. Lord, I pray that we would be growing in you, that, that our journey with you would not stop at conversion, but that we would join with you, Lord Jesus, on a journey that changes our lives. Lord, we thank you that you are God who saves sinners, people like you and me, people like us, people like the folks around us, Lord. So help us to be faithful in praying. Help us to be faithful in sharing our faith. Help us to be faithful in your, in your goodness to those folks, Lord. And we trust that you will be at work in their hearts and minds. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love for us. Amen.